Well, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Sharon, and it's really, really great to be here today. It's been a hectic week, well, few weeks, um, but how wonderful it is to have a day like we have here, which we call Sabbath, uh, a day of rest from some of that hectic that we live every day. Might be a commute, might be school essays, might be uni exams, but isn't it a blessing that we can have this day of rest? So if you're new here or you haven't been here for a while, I extend to you a huge welcome. It's really lovely to have you and I hope you feel at home. And if you are a regular here, again, welcome home. It's, it's just really nice to be here today. As I always believe that um, God wants to speak, as Viema said in prayer, into our lives at this moment, in this time, in this space. And in that hectic week, sometimes it's hard to hear God because we are so busy and there's much going through our minds. But right now in this time and place, this short moment of time in the week, then God has something He wants to say to you today. Whether you're um, one of our seniors here today or one of our younger high schoolers, well, we wouldn't call you, you're young to us. <laughs> um, God wants to say something to you today. As you can tell, we've started a new series, Dave. We kick-started that last week. We had a guest speaker, Lockie, and it was fantastic. If you missed that message, head to our Refresh Facebook page. Unfortunately, our live streaming didn't hang out for the day. Uh, got part of that, but um, it is on SoundCloud, so it's an audio. So it would be really good if you could catch up, go back and listen to Lockie's message. It had a very uh, awesome point, and he looked at the story of defeating David defeating Goliath, a story that many may be familiar with. It's a part of David's life that even, a, even as a child, um, often you find books or stories that retell that story. Um, so I encourage you to do that. But today we're going to continue on straight into the next part of David's life, which some of you may not be familiar with. But as we were coming in, we were talking, I had this very late idea this morning. I should try and track down a sword. So thank you to the phrases. This is the Fraser sword, but we're going to adapt it today to be Goliath's sword. But we were talking in the car and Ethan goes, well, what do you want a sword for, mom? And I said, well, it's Goliath's sword and it's about a story. And he's, he just picked up on it straight away. He knew the exact story. He's got this comic cartoon Bible book that he's reading and it's the David series. Boys love it because there's a lot of battles in that. And he just retold the whole story on the way to church. So he said, mom, you can do that in two minutes and then everyone can go home. So, <laughs> um, so I'll see how I go, but um, I do have a little bit more than that. But Ethan knew the story in a few minutes. He said, I know that story, mum. But for some of you, it might not be as familiar. You might not be reading the cartoon book at bedtime. So see if this works for us, if we're connected to the right ones, because Lockie and I had two different. It's not going, Lockie, so maybe I have the wrong one. Or... Um, Maybe I'm going. Am I going? Maybe. The ways of God are most appeal unappealing and seemingly irrelevant when we are. The ways of God for us individually are most unappealing and seemingly irrelevant when we are. Now, you could probably add a few words to this list, but this is the list we're going to focus on today. When we are angry, when we are alone, or we are afraid. These three things, last week we looked at Goliath, he was a giant. And Lockie even talked about some of the, the giants that David overcame to face that giant. Fear was one. But ironically, these things can come back and be a giant for us. 
And there's a bit of an overlap there in today's message. But these three things, these three things have the potential to undermine us in our lives. They can undermine our most highest moral, ethical, and personal boundaries that we might set for ourselves. These things here, they can break out, cause us to break out of the guardrails that we have set for ourselves relationally, physically, financially, and perhaps even professionally. These three things, if you think back to some of the things in the past you might label as regrets, I would guess that possibly at least one of these was associated with that regret. Maybe it was an anger issue. Maybe you were alone at the time or afraid and you did something that you regret. And it's possible that for us in the future, one of these will be part of a future regret. The problem is, is that when we go our own way, when the ways of God become irrelevant because of these things to us and we take our own paths, Unfortunately, the destination, the place that we end up is that we are usually angrier, lonelier, and if I could say, scareder. So we pick up the story of David here. David in his life, David in his life had two colossal failures. And for many of us, we're quite familiar For many of us, we're quite familiar with one. But today we're going to talk about one that happened not when he was older in his 50s, but when he was much younger in his 20s. And there's a few of us in this space that are in our 20s. David defeated Goliath when he was a teen, perhaps around 15 years of age, which is crazy. Some of you guys represent that space. And at that time, as Lockie said last week, he became one of the most famous, if not the most famous name in Israel. And Saul could see the influence that David was gaining through that. Saul could see the power that was becoming his. And so Saul decided, well, being a little bit unsettled and ruffled by that, decided, well, hey, what if I get David a part of my family, then I'll be able to almost manipulate him and I'll keep him under the thumb. So he offered to David his daughter, one of his daughters. And David at the time said, you know what, Saul, how could I possibly marry one of your daughters? Who am I? The Bible says, he says, I'm just from an average family and I I am of no significance. You know, he just killed Goliath for the Israelites and he's saying here, I'm of no significance. He, He felt humbled and low, so low that he wasn't worthy to be part of the king's family. And so he pushes away Saul's offer of his daughter for a wife. But as it turns out, some time later, Saul, um, David actually falls in love with another of Saul's daughters. And Saul, um, at this time, decides that he's going to put a challenge out for David, almost like, a, a, if you can do this, you can have my daughter kind of stuff. Now, you can go and read this yourself in the Bible. It's probably X-rated. But um, he... He actually conquers this challenge and uh, adds to his heroism, really. And Saul then follows through and gives David um, Michael or Michael, who um, becomes David's wife. 
And this is where we are about pick up in the story. David enters into the household of Saul and along with that becomes the best friend of David's son, Jonathan, which is mentioned here in part of what's being taught to our kids at the moment. So David becomes part of this family, but it doesn't turn out for Saul the way that he intends. In fact, Saul's jealousy just keeps welling and he becomes more and more angry. That that consumes him. And so you find now as we travel in this story for about seven years from that time of Goliath to the point we're going to pick up our story today, Saul... Um, David is often out of Saul's favor. And this is the kind of things David had to confront. Death threats. Of course, we just mentioned Saul was extremely jealous. So dealing with that, he was often put into impossible military situations where Saul was hoping David would be done away with. But instead, David succeeded. He was uh, had uh, a spear thrown at him, da- uh, Saul's spear right there while he's playing his music to calm Saul down. At times, Saul just could not contain his anger, his jealousy, and hurled his own spear at David. David leaves town for a while. His wife actually suggests, hey, David, I think my dad's gone crazy. I think you should leave town. I think it would be better for you if you do. And uh, David eventually has a chat with Jonathan uh, and, and they come up with a plan because they feel that the time is coming. It just might not be safe to stay or to come back to live in the palace. So we pick up the story here. In this story, we pick it up at dinner. And dinner, if you can imagine, in a palace scenario with the king, is quite an honorable place to be. And uh, not something you would take lightly to have dinner with the king, even if you're a part of the family. But as it had happened through this time, especially in the last part of these seven years, David himself had not been as regular at dinner. Because of the favor that was he was falling in and out of Saul, he wasn't as regular there. But on this particular night, this particular night, David did not turn up for dinner. As was planned with Jonathan, he was not going to be there. And Saul was irate this night. And he approaches Jonathan and says, where's David? Probably not quite as nice as that. Where's David? And Jonathan gives uh, an excuse that they had planned that David was going to be off visiting his family. Um, But Saul just becomes infuriated. And he says these words. Saul became very angry with Jonathan and he said to him, you are an evil son, speaking to his own son here. You have refused to obey me. I know that you are on the side of Jesse's son. Saul was really struggling with the fact that the members of his own family, as far as he was concerned, were actually more siding, uh, more on the side of David than on him. This continued to fuel his anger. Keep going. You will never be king. As long as Jesse's son lives on this earth and you will never have a kingdom either. So send someone to bring the son of Jesse to me. He must die. Not only that, Saul had his own ego and pride here. He's like, you, Jonathan, are meant to be the next king. But hey, you're never going to be king. You're never going to have a kingdom. My line is going to die out. 
This whole scenario was just a fiery space at dinner. And in the end, Saul comes very strong. Not the first time he's said this, but obviously it was so clear in Jonathan's mind that it was not safe for David to come back, that the communication got to David and said, David, you must go. You must not come back. You must leave the palace. You must even leave the country. It's not safe for you to be here. My dad has gone crazy. So Saul is angry, very angry. And here we have David at 22 on the run. And he is feeling some of these emotions. He is alone. He's by himself. Normally, David has hundreds and thousands of warriors with him. But no, not this time. He is by himself. And he is afraid. He is afraid of what this crazy king, Saul, is going to do with him. And he feels a little bit abandoned. Like, why? Why me? What have I done? And the people that he had gone, he had fought the, the giant for, he, he felt were perhaps had, had left his side. And maybe even the way that he responds in this scenario, maybe God too. David, we wonder, you know, we think, well, why would he do this? Why would he run? Why would he panic? And I suppose if we think about it for ourselves, it's often the same for us. When we're alone, when we're abandoned, or when we're afraid, we run, we panic. I remember this scenario once um, in my 20s. I was with a friend. We were cycling around New Zealand at the time. And um, I, we had been on the road for a few days. I would think less than a week about that. Maybe I was a bit tired. But um, we ended up having a Barney, and I, I honestly have no memory of what that Barney was about, but I got really annoyed um, with my friend, and so I just rode off. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've ever done that, but I just like, well, <clears throat> I'm going. So I just rode off, and about an hour later, I realized like, hmm, I wonder if we should kind of, you know, meet up again, like, you know, we cycling for 30 days like probably a good idea and so um I stopped and, and I was like maybe I should wait for him to catch up but he didn't come and eventually came to the conclusion well actually I better start going back so I went back and I uh, realized I'd taken the wrong road and um we eventually did meet up but often you know when we get angry we go off, we run, and we take ourselves down a path that's not the right journey. For David, we can see that for Saul, he was angry and he made lots of silly decisions because of that anger. But for David, his killer giants in this scenario was feeling alone and afraid. And we can say, why would he do that? Why would he run? But as we know, when we're in these types of scenarios, often we don't think straight, so we, we panic. We panic and we take matters into our own hands. I think, you know, um, if you, like, you know, look back and you think through your own life, you could ask yourself some of those questions, like, why did I do that? Why did I run from that situation? Why did I go there? Why did I call that person? Why did I hide that decision? Why did I just get up and move? And why did I just say that? There's lots of different things that we can think back. And we do that because when we feel angry or we feel alone or afraid, as we said, we panic, just like David did. 
So we find David on the run, and he turns up to a place called Nob. My boys thought that was a very funny word. David went to Ahimelech, the priest at Nob. So a little bit of back end to this story. Back in this day, in this culture, uh, the central part of this Jewish culture was a place called the tabernacle. It's like a, a worship place, but it was a tent that got moved around from place to place. And the tent had some special parts to it. And inside the tent had some special furniture, one of which particularly was something called the Ark of the Covenant. It was a piece of furniture that housed inside of it the Ten Commandments, the original Ten Commandments, or so it is, um, is said, and other things as well. And on top of this was a, an aura or something called the Shekinah glory. It really represented in their culture the presence of God. And so where the tabernacle was was where um, the priests were. And you can say, well, why wasn't it in Jerusalem, which was the capital at the time? But at this time, Israel actually didn't have command over the region of Jerusalem. So what it meant that it was a little bit on the run. And at this particular time, it was in the town of Nob. And Ahimelech was the high priest or was the pastor or the caretaker of the temple. And David turns up here at the temple, at the tabernacle, I should say. And when he turns up here, he says, um, Ahimelech trembled with fear when he met him and asked David, why are you alone? Why isn't anyone with you? Because Ahimelech, like everybody in Israel, they knew David. They knew that he was famous. He was renowned and he had warriors. And he's like, David, what are you doing here? Where's all your men? Like, what's going on? This isn't odd. This is very odd. What are you doing here? And so David says this. David answered Ahimelech the priest. And what David does next changes the trajectory of Ahimelech's life as well as his whole family. David lies. And he goes, the king gave me a special job to do. He sent to me. He said to me, I don't want anybody to know where I'm sending you. So don't say anything about it. I've told my men to meet me in a certain place. David lies. Now he's an Israelite and here he is at the tabernacle where probably just a few meters away are the Ten Commandments, one of which says, do not lie. David knew this very, very well, of course, as we, many of us do too. And yet David lies, black and white, he lies. Why? Because he's afraid. He's afraid maybe what will Ahimelech, what will he think of David? Maybe he will do something that might jeopardize his life as David's life in this circumstance as well. He's afraid and he's also alone. He's got nobody with him to guide his way to a better way and he lies to try and cover up um, for himself. And Ahimelech obviously finds this all very weird, but the story continues on. David says, do you have anything for us to eat? Give me five loaves of bread and anything else you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any bread that isn't holy. I only have some holy bread here, but it's for men who haven't slept with women recently. Actually, I was going to leave that out, but I thought, look, I'll be true to the Bible, put it in. Um, so here we are in the temple, and there's some holy bread. So some backstory on this. Um, so each week on Sabbath, so the day of the seventh day of the week, which we have today, the priest would prepare some bread, and they would consecrate it. They would, they would 
pray over it and they would give it, put it on a special table, a special altar in, in a sacrificial type of uh, offering to God. Um, it's not what we do in our culture today, but that's what they did then. And that became special holy bread. And that sat there. And of course, on Sunday morning, God had not eaten the bread. They never expected that to be done. But the bread could be eaten by the priests around the temple who had been cleansed. And a lot of um, ceremonies and stuff like that belonged a part of this culture. So the priests had to be ceremonially clean. So there was washing and there was no sex. And they could have the bread, basically. Um, but it was only for them, only for the priests. It was holy bread. And David comes along and he asks for food and Ahimelech says, well, actually, the only bread I have right here right now is the consecrated bread, the holy bread. And David knew what that meant. But he goes on. And you can see in this picture, and you think about the David from last week, the David and Goliath story where you, you saw this, this young boy step up in faith and in trust and in courage and says, you know, God is going to deliver me. And here he is walking this line. You think, well, what happened to that guy? Where did that David go? Where's he disappeared to? So David asked Elimelech, oh, no, I've, We'll go back. So Elimelech gives David the bread and says, all right, well, if you really want it, here it is. And David takes the bread. And then David goes on to say, David asks Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't bought my sword or any other weapon. That's because the job the king gave me to do had to be done right away. Another lie. Another lie just comes out. Himalek's like, man, this is just really weird. This is David, like this is the warrior, right? He has no weapon, no weapon with him at all. It's sounding very dodgy, basically. Um, but it's interesting. I find it interesting that Ahimelech kind of trusts David, even though it's sounding dodgy, because David had such a reputation. Um, and he didn't expect David to be doing what he was doing. So he asks, don't you have a spear or a sword here? For David, this should have been a moment where something clicked. You could say the climax of the story of like, aha, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? His eyes should have been opened, and especially when he heard this. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine is here. You killed him in the valley of Elah. David, you used this sword at 15 to kill the giant. For David, something should have clicked. Something should have said to him, hey, I remember that day. I remember where my focus was. I remember who I trusted. I ran towards the giant that day. Here I am running away from. David should have just pictured back that moment. It must have flashed before him. But he was alone and he was afraid. And it's interesting that for us, 
when we're angry, when we're alone or afraid, these three giants can cause us to forget so easily all the other defeated giants in our past and they can also undermine our faith in God even more importantly and what he has done in the past in our lives. The same for David, the same for us. This moment could have jolted as he said, look, I have the sword of Goliath. Could have jolted David and to think and to stop and to remember God's faithfulness and God's power and to run towards God again and not run from him. But unfortunately, he didn't. So he said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, is here. You've killed, with, you've killed him with this in the Valley of Elah. His sword is wrapped in cloth. It's behind the sacred linen apron. If you want it, take it. It's the only sword here. And you can say, to finish it off, David said, there isn't any sword like it. Give it to me. And you can say here that David literally took matters into his own hands. And we do the same. We do the same. When things aren't quite working out for us, when we're in those spaces of fear, when they're in that space sometimes of loneliness or abandonment, we're in that space sometimes of when we are um, just uh, not focused on God, these things here, this here, we tend to just reach out and take matters into our own hands. David runs. And he lies. He has a flawed response and a flawed weapon. And as I said, we can intersect with this story right here. Often we see it in others. You know, you might sit back now and you might be going, you're looking at a friend and think, why is she doing that? Why is she in that relationship? Why is he making those business decisions? And it is so easy to see it in others. But the question that we have is, is it in me? Because when we have struggles, sometimes we ask this question or we have this response. You know, if God, if you were with me, this would not be happening to me. If you were with me, this just would not be happening to me. And that's how David felt. We talked about last week his anointing, that David was anointed. He was chosen by God when he was a boy. God, I'm anointed. What's going on? Saul's after my life. I'm hated. I'm despised. I'm scared. I'm alone. If God, you were with me, this would not be happening to me. And we can go on from this. When we are followers of Jesus, we sometimes, um, this falls into place for us. It's so easy to trust God when we have nothing to trust him with and nothing to trust him for. You know, when we're young, perhaps, and we're early in our Christian faith, along the journey, perhaps it's, you know, there's not so much in the bank. But as we get up and there's so much more happening in our lives as we've committed all of this stuff to God, and uh, as time goes along, sometimes um, we might feel like uh, it's just, well, I've got so much to lose, God. Um, 
When things are just humming along, it's easy to come and worship. When things are humming along, it might be easy to praise God's name at home or personally or in public or to your friends. But when things are challenging, when things aren't going the way that we want, when it's not so easy, then it can become harder. So for David, he takes the sword. The irony of it is this. You know where he goes with that sword? He goes to the Philistines. Now the Philistines is the cultural context of Goliath. He was a Philistine. David takes this sword and goes to the Philistines. And not only does he go to the Philistines, but he goes to Gath. Now Gath is exactly the city where Goliath had come from. Why would you? David's not thinking straight. He goes there, and you know what he says next? He says, can I join your army and fight for you? What is going on? And um, these guys are going, (laughs) you're David. Like, we know who you are. It's kind of like, are you tricking us? What's going on here? This is really weird. You know, these guys hold David in high esteem. And they're like, uh-uh, uh-uh. And David, out of desperation, realizes that things he's probably in the wrong place. And then the Bible says he actually acts like he's insane. He starts going crazy. And these guys are going, this is all very weird. Let's just get him out of here. So David leaves. And when he leaves, he ends up going to a cave. Now, I don't know if this is coincidence, but I know lots of men like to go into caves. You know, we go and hide in our cave and we think, well, this is David. He went into a cave and there his senses started to come back to him. And in fact, as he was in that cave, he, um, he started to ask some people to come around him and some of his army men, his family, and then eventually he finds his way to a prophet and says, hey, I've made some silly choices. And he confesses and says he's messed up and he asks for some wisdom. But unfortunately, by this point, the damage is already done. And what damage is that? Well, when we go back to this scenario here, when we're in um, at the temple, at the tabernacle, there was a young man named Doeg. He was um, a herdsman for Saul, and he overheard this conversation between Saul, I mean, between Ahimelech and David. And he got some of the story right and some of the story wrong, but Doeg goes back to Saul and says, hey, Saul, and they're in a conversation, and then at some point, in this conversation where Saul's just chatting around, Doeg pipes in with this little bit of information that um, he happened to be at Nod, and while he was there, uh, David came along, and Ahimelech helped him and gave him food and gave him a weapon, albeit Goliath's sword. And basically saying that he sided with David. And Saul again, his anger just welled up inside of him, so much so that he orders for Ahimelech and all his family, the men in his family, to come. And so he does. He's got no idea why he's going, but he goes. And he goes and he stands in front of Saul. And Saul accuses him and says, you're on the side of David. The rest of my family are now you're the high priest and you're on the side of David. And poor Ahimelech, he's got no idea what's going on, and he answers such. David's so faithful to you, Saul. 
That's all he sees. That's what Ahimelech sees. David's faithful to you. In fact, he's more faithful to you than anyone else who serves you. He's your bodyguard, mate. Like, what's going on? He's like totally confused. And not only that, he says, look, David comes to me often and asks for advice, as many people do. Like, this is not the first time. Um, And so poor Ahimelech, he's just standing there trying to give you know, a back end to this story, trying to give his side of the story, but Saul will have absolutely none of it. He's just irate. He's done. He's, he's just got to his anger, anger max again, 10 out of 10. And so he says to his, um, he says to his uh, guys around him, yep, oh, sorry, before that, Ahimelech begs, you know, he says, please don't bring charges against me. Please don't bring charges against any of my family. I don't know anything about this. But Saul instructs his guards and says, guards, kill them all. Get rid of them all. And the guards actually refuse. They say, we're not going to touch the high priest and his family. That guy is anointed by God. That guy is chosen and commissioned by God. We're not going to do it. And just over here in the back corner is Doeg. He's listening in and he suddenly thinks, well, this is my moment. This is my moment to become a hero. And he says, I'll do it. And he does. He slaughters all of Ahimelech's um, male line. And also Saul issues that everybody in the city of Nob be killed. Almost everybody dies. Almost. A relative of Ahimelech survives and eventually finds his way back to David and tells David the story. Tells David what has happened. And David responds, your whole family has been killed and I am responsible for it. For David, that lie, that lie or those lies cost Ahimelech his life and that of his family and that of his crown. And David was responsible and he was 22 years old. It's a part of his life that he had to live with for the rest of his life. It was a mistake that was ignited by being afraid and alone. It was a mistake that was was ignited from panic. And it was a mistake that was ignited from running from God and not towards God when things were getting tough. And it was a mistake that became part of his story. And we can never take away some of the scars that we have in our lives for when we make a mistake. But I want to just speak into that just before we go on. That song we sang, Scandal of Grace. Your mistakes and my mistakes, God will cover with his grace. God forgives. We never can find a space where we say, we're not good enough for God, or I've made too many mistakes. By God's love and grace he will reach out and forgive over and over again so we're going to finish up with a couple of questions the question I have for you is this what is your anger loneliness or fear causing you to consider that you've never considered before let's think relationally You're lonely. 
that relationship? Are you considering that relationship on the side? Pornography. What about that guy that's not right for you? What about you're considering walking away from your marriage? Or you're considering gossiping and slandering a friend? Or letting go of the values that you hold so close just to be part of a friendship group? Or what about revenge? What are things that play into our minds that when we feel angry or alone or fear, we consider that we would never consider before? What about physically? Turning to alcohol or drugs, addiction or self-harm. Things that we consider that we might never have considered before. Or financially, an unnecessary purchase, a one more gamble or a financial secret that we're holding. Or professionally, Maybe we're considering because we sit in one of these spaces, we're, we're considering we're just going to quit. That's it. I've had enough. Or some other reactive decision. Is there something that your anger, your fear, or your loneliness is causing you to consider that you'd never considered before? And the second question, David put at risk, the lives of a whole village. Who besides you do your considerations put at risk? And we don't have to think long and hard what the answer is to that because it is the people who love you the most and the people you love the most, usually, right? Whose future hangs in the balance of those considerations? What advice would you give somebody who is you? What advice would you give? Well, for David, if we head forward into his life, he gave some advice. He wrote it in Psalms. And this was one of many pieces of advice you'll find in Psalms. It's right in the middle of your Bible. If you have an old version, you know, paper thing, open it up. About there, you'll find Psalms. It's a bit hard to find the middle of a device, but you can just press Psalms and find it. The Lord is a place of safety for those who have been badly treated. The Lord is the place that we need to run to. The Lord is the place we need to run to when we feel afraid, when we feel angry, and when we feel alone. God is a place to run to, not run from. Not a chemical, not an affair, not running, not a new car, not another debt, not an addiction. It's not going to work out well. Because God says this, or the Bible says this, David wrote this. It's God who keeps you safe in times of trouble. God's going to get you through that difficult time. God's going to get you through whatever you're angry about. God's going to get you through your space right now that's lonely. You can be in a crowd and be so lonely. We know that the whole world today, there's so much loneliness. God can get you through that space. Lord, those who know you, we trust in you. You have never deserted those who look to you. 
We could say it like this, don't be mistaken, you are not forsaken. Whatever space you're in right now, don't let it be put into your head that God is not with you, that God has left you, that God has abandoned you. Don't let that be the case as it was for David as he ran from Saul that particular season of his life. He forgot the David when he was 15 where he ran to the giant. He forgot that space and the fear overwhelmed him, found himself lonely in a space that was dangerous. If you traject a thousand years on from David, we find ourselves in the second part of the Bible into the New Testament in the city of David was born Jesus. And Jesus said these words. He said, come to me, all you who are tired and carrying heavy loads, whatever you have, whatever anger you're carrying, whatever loneliness you're in, whatever you're fearful of, he says, bring it to me. I'll put it on my back. I'll carry it for you. He says, follow me, be my servants, learn from me, and you will find rest for yourself. We'll find rest in that place. We'll find rest as we draw to God, not run from God. God is our safe place. So, God is with you. Don't run. Don't panic. Don't move until you feel led by him. If we go back to this verse, we'll just replace a few words. The Lord is a place of safety for you who have been troubled badly. He keeps you safe in times of trouble, when you're angry, afraid, or alone. Run to him. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we are just so grateful that you are a God full of grace, full of mercy, full of compassion, full of forgiveness, full of love, full of kindness, and full of generosity. God, um, as we navigate this world, it's not easy at times, Lord. There are things that make us angry. There are There are places we find where we feel desperately alone, God. Even if we're in the middle of a relationship, a friendship circle, God, there are times we feel so alone. And God, we sometimes are gripped with fear, fear of the unknown, fear of different things that are happening around us, fear of illness, fear for our children, God. But whatever it is, Lord, help us to remember that it is not running from you that is going to make it better. It is running to you. Help us to draw closer to you, God, and know that you are our safe place. You are our refuge. You are our strong tower. God, thank you for David, who was a man just like us. He made some colossal mistakes, Lord, but he, he had a heart for you. God, give us that heart today. Give us that heart for you. Change our lives. Transform us this week, God, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.